Olivia Bastian. And I'm Aubrey Calvin. And this is Southern Queries. Exploring all things LGBTQ in the South. Y'all, I have been waiting for a while to get this episode up for you to listen. I want to give a special shout out to Randy and his wife, Lindsay, who agreed to come over to our place for dinner. And Randy, especially, who let me grill him for a thousand and one questions. I had been talking to Aubrey and realized that we had had a great track record of bringing LGBTQ guests. I mean, duh. But it's also important to give space to allies, non-LGBTQ people, parents, and expand our alphabet, if you will. For me, it was particularly important to have someone like Randy on the show, given that he openly speaks about how he was taught by society and religion to discriminate LGBTQ folk and also people of color. I wanted to understand what his journey was and how he got to where he is today, and also open our hearts that people can grow and change. And I'm also a big fan of Randy's purpose with his podcast. Although I'm not a big drinker and I have a lot of people in my life who are sober, his podcast is called Bourbon Real Talk. And I highly recommend um, people kind of tune in and listen. Um, The real purpose and journey that he's had with that community is really something to admire. So join me on this episode of Southern Queries. Randy, I'm so excited to have you on my podcast. You are? Yeah. I don't know why. Here's why. Okay. When push comes to shove, mm-hmm. actually, it was something you said, because mm-hmm. I was all, yes, we're going to be on your podcast, and I'm super excited about it, and you're like, yeah, but no one really <coughs> wants to listen, <coughs> don't I, to gay people talking on a podcast that doesn't have a gay audience. I don't think I said it that way, because that sounds super aggro, but... <laughs> That's what I gathered from it. But really where I'm going with this is I wanted to have a white straight man on my podcast because I've never had a white straight man. And I realized that wasn't fair to the community to only listen to ourselves. It's like an echo chamber. Okay, that's fair. So I wanted to have someone who had a different perspective and a different background on the podcast. I like that. I would say for the record... That immediately after making that super aggro sounding statement, <laughs> I attempted to find a end around so that I could get my mostly middle-aged, affluent, white male audience to listen to a podcast that supported LGBTQ. So it, it wasn't it, it it wasn't that I didn't want that content. It was that. You know, if we're going to do it, let's let's find a way to do it so that it's impactful. Yeah, right? no, for sure. Which is which is why I'm in the space that I'm in, because I I I grew up the typical. Right. I grew up um, being discriminatory against people that were different from me. Yeah. And and I changed and the way that I changed was by hearing people's stories. Mm. And, under, and understanding so when when someone reaches out to me and says hey i i you know i'm working on this kind of you know initiative to get the word out i identify with that and i want to help get the word out but i want to do it in a way that's effective because i understand that if you do it right even somebody who doesn't 
think the way that my guest does can develop an empathy and compassion towards it if you handle it right. And, and that's why. Yeah. So before we deep dive into all of this, because I'm like, ooh, juicy stuff. Yes. I would love for you to introduce yourself because that's what I do with my guests. Okay. Um, who are you? Um, I am Randy Sullivan. Uh, that's my, well, actually, my legal name is Randall Sullivan, but I go by Randy. And I was like, I, I've never called you Randall. I just call you Randy. That's and so nice. I was hoping that was okay. No, no, no. I <laughs> No, it is. It's I prefer it, actually. It's weird because now that I have a, uh, there are people who know me from seeing things online. People that are visual learners can't shake calling me Randall because they read my name that way. Oh, on um, social media? Right, yeah, 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 because of social media or because of the podcast or whatever. Uh, but my, you know, I go by Randy. But um, I'm, I'm Randy Sullivan. I am a bourbon educator. I, I teach people about whiskey. Um, and, it, you know, if we're going to do it, let's do it. So I, I do that because whiskey has an amazing connective power that other things that you imbibe or consume don't. And I have a whole theory around why it's that way. Um, But just to summarize it, if you had an amazing bottle of whiskey and you loved it and you drank the whole thing by yourself in one night, you might die. (laughs) Yeah. Right? So it's for sharing. Right, it's for sharing. (laughs) Short version. Right, whiskey (laughs) is, is, there's something inside of our you know, collective lizard brain that tells us like this is for this. It's a communal resource. And as a result, it brings people together and, and everybody needs, you know, resources. Everybody needs calories, which is the reason why whiskey was created was to preserve the food calories of food that was going to rot. That's why humans started turning it into beer and then later from beer into whiskey. And as a result, it, it brings people together. And I, I saw that. I saw people from all different walks of life, uh, different, you know, um, ideological views being brought together around spirits. And that was something that I was seeking because in, in 2014, my brother committed suicide. Yeah. And I, that made me, you know, aware of the reality that there are people all around you in your life, in my life, that... They don't feel as connected as you and I do. They don't feel as grounded as you and I do. And I wanted to find a way to help people feel connected, but um, I didn't know how to do it. And when I saw whiskey doing the job for me, I thought, well, maybe if I educate people about whiskey and get them involved in the community, they'll feel connected and they won't feel the way that my brother did. Right? That's so so powerful. I really, really love that. And I think that's what attracted me the most to your podcast. And actually, um, you have a message at the end of every podcast. And I looked over at my wife, Allison, and I said, I'm going to message him. I don't know if he's going to respond. <laughs> and frankly, I was shocked that you responded to me. And so I've been really honored not only to get to know you, but your wife. I've been at your home. We've shared whiskey together. I'm so excited to share your story because that night that we were hanging out in your kitchen, God, it was like the wee hours of the night. It wasn't really that late, but for us, it was really late. Right. It was like 
nine or like 10 or something. Plus, we don't live close to each other, so you had to no, drive. We yeah. really don't. But you spoke a lot in depth on how you unlearned your racism and homophobia. So I wanted to share a little bit about your background mm -hmm. and why you even brought that up in the first place. Like, where did you come from? What was your upbringing like? And how did you unlearn these things? You know, I, I, I grew up in Carrollton, in the colony. Texas. Yes, Texas. <laughs> um, if if you're from the Dallas area, I mean, they're not super affluent areas. They're not, you know, not, you know, affluent areas. I mean, everybody there has everything that they need. But when I was growing up, I'm I'm 43 now. I was born in '78, and there was kind of a natural divide that happened right mm. and you know first off anything that was out of the ordinary um i think we'd use the term queer now right sure was shunned and it was you know publicly ridiculed and then all of the different people groups kind of separated themselves there was a little bit of overlap because of like sports or whatever extracurricular activity you were involved in, but everybody kind of separated themselves um, on their own. And that just seemed totally normal to me. And, you know, when I was growing up, there wasn't any influence that said like, you know, hey, hating somebody because of, you know, who they want to have sex with is not right. Like that just didn't exist. And so it was a, a weird you know, kind of natural progression for me. It actually happened for me in the church. Mm, interesting. So but in, in terms of, you know, my, my turning away from racism um, was, was a religious kind of experience for me. Um, I was actually, I went to A&M. There was a, a, a street preacher that was doing like a, a sermon for I think it was a Christian like fraternity and my my roommate was a member of it and he took me to it in the way that he was talking about racism and how that's not in alignment with God's will um, it made me like immediately I just wanted to turn away from any thoughts that were like that now that having been said I mean I'm 43 years old <clears throat> and there are racial stereotypes that you'd be unwise to ignore, right? There are, sure. there, are, there are dangerous behaviors that people can engage in that indicate to you that they may be a threat to you. And I'm not suggesting that you walk up to somebody who looks like a dangerous gangster and be like, hey, buddy, I want to be your best friend or, you know, whatever. <laughs> like, that'd be silly. Um, but I'm talking about taking every individual for where they're at and what they are, right? And... And that's kind of what I learned in the church. But my transition to accept LGBTQ um, was, was a little bit later mm. because in the church that was still reinforced. And, you know, it wasn't cool to be a racist, but it was totally cool to hate gay people. Yeah. Right. And I remember like yesterday, we were at church and the the pastor is given like this impassioned speech against homosexuality. And um, it was actually the youth pastor. He was preaching an adult service and he liked to use like this shock technique mm. and it worked really good with youth. And he, he told this story 
and he was talking about Will and Grace, which was on the air at the time, and it was very popular. And controversial at the time. Uh, yeah, but I mean, like, society had started to accept it. Like, it was pretty mainstream, and that was his point, right? Mm. And what he said was, he's like, how many of you out there in the audience watch Will and Grace? And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say some aggressive stuff, but hopefully your audience can handle it. Oh, oh yes, they can. <laughs> Good. All right. So he says, how many of y'all watch Will and Grace? And, um, you know, a few people raise their hands and he's like, so I know that you guys think that it's like a, about a cute gay couple, but you need to understand that homosexuality is about two grown, sweaty, hairy man, men having butt sex. Mm. And you could just feel like that air be sucked out of the room but i do this thing where if you present an image to me i'll consider the reverse of it and see if the image holds water right mm. and so when he said that on the stage was the worship pastor and his wife and um neither one of them are bad looking i think the wife was beautiful um and i thought okay all right, that, that's I did, like when I think about two sweaty, hairy, grown men having butt sex, like my stomach starts to crunch up. I can feel my penis inverting, like uh, like my balls shrink up, like it's not good for me. I go, okay, cool. There's an attractive couple right there. Do I want to see him just raw dogging her? And the my body had the same physical reaction. Mm. It was the first time ever I realized the type of sex that you have is not gross. It's private. Mm. Right? Like, you can use the fact that that imagery is shocking to your senses because it's supposed to be private. Sure. You're not supposed to think about your friend having sex with their partner. When you do that, it should always be gross to you. Hmm. Unless you, unless you're coveting your neighbor's wife, which is a whole other problem. It's <laughs> a different story. It's a different story, right? <laughs> and so once I made that realization, I was like, oh, okay, well, the act itself is not. And then, and then I put myself in the other position. I was like, okay, there's a camera in my bedroom. Have I done some stuff that if we played it up there on the screen, people in the audience would be disgusted? Probably. Sure. Right. And so that's what made me realize, like, the way that you experience, you know, pleasure sexually is private. And it and that doesn't have anything to do with what's right or what's wrong or judgment or, you, you know, I can't come along and go, the thing that I like is, is good and the thing that you don't like is bad or, you know, whatever. I can't do that, right? And that's what opened my mind to going, okay, all right, I don't need to worry about the private part. Let's focus on the person hmm. mm -hmm. and whether or not that person fits in my life and can, is there a place for them in my life, right? And, and that's what started the revolution. That's really beautiful. And what a controversial way of thinking about it <laughs> but also raw and like very real like I wish more people talked about what that journey was for them if they had a journey at all right um 
Now, I know you two have kids, Mm -hmm. and you can tell me that things are off-limit at any point in time, but how have you raised your kids around this as well? Or do you have conversations with them about racism and LGBTQ people, or you don't? No, we we talk about it uh, pretty more frequently than I thought I would. Like, um, there's actually kind of a, a, a problem. I think it's a problem. I don't know if your audience would think it was a problem. Um, but imagine if I could identify as a oppressed African-American. Sure. Right. And all of a sudden I'm a, I'm a 43 year old privileged white male, but I identify as a, as a oppressed African-American and I want you to treat me that way. That'd be a problem, right? Like everybody would be like, what do you, what the fuck are you doing? Like, no. Right. Am I allowed to cuss? Yeah. Okay. Fuck yeah. Good. Okay. (laughs) So, cause I cuss a lot. Um, so if, if I did that, everybody would be like, what? No, like you can't do that, but it can be done to LGBTQ individuals mm-hmm. because saying that you're gay or that you're queer or that you're bi cost nothing. There's no physical markers to prove that it's real. And my kids are growing up in a world where young people have started to try to co-opt the pain of LGBTQ community individuals to get attention for themselves. Mm. And so my kids have brought it up to me because there's all of these kids that they go to school with that are identifying as bi or queer or gay or lesbian or whatever the case may be. And there's no way that all of a sudden... 60% 60% of the 13-year-olds in Prosper, Texas are part, part of, of the LGBTQ, LGBTQ community. community. Okay. Like, statistically, it's just not real. And it, it, it's in alignment with... There's, there, there's a problem in America, in my opinion, where individuals who want to feel significant and important and want to be considered are trying to co-opt the struggle of other individuals that it's not their struggle. Mm. And, and so because of that, my kids have actually, you know, brought that up quite often. And the, the cavalier manner that they talk about it is like, you know, it's like, Hey, when you get in the end zone, act like you've been there before, right? Like don't freak out in front of the kids that they think this is no big deal because you've raised them to treat everybody like that's not a big deal, but it's, it's almost shocking, right? You know, there's some little girl that my son is talking to every day on text message and I'm like, do you think she has a crush on you? And he's like, oh no, she's gay. Like everything's like so nonchalant. Mm. Um, when I was growing up, that wouldn't have been the case. It was like, you know, that would be, you wouldn't say that out. You'd whisper it to your best friend, right? Like, oh, I think that person's gay, right? It right. wasn't, it, it was not that nonchalant. But with my kids, um, you know, we've, we've, we've taught them the best that we can um, that, you know, that's none of your business, really, you know, and that it, there are people that are going to tell you that that's, of religious significance, mm. right? Mm-hmm. And that, and that if you love them, right, that you're going to, cause my, you know, my daughter, if the church is open, she's there, right? Sure. And she's gotten into 
like many arguments with like church leaders and stuff like that when they talk about this subject. But what we what we've taught them is that, you know, you need to disregard that because I'm not sure that any of the people that are trying to lead you in this actually understand the significance of what it is that they're talking about. Right. Yeah. I mean, there's a whole argument to be made that the the religious statements that are made in the Bible are not talking about consensual monogamous relationships. Yeah, right? sure. I've heard that argument. <laughs> and so that's, you know, that's, and we've told them like, look, we're not trying to tell you we're biblical scholars or anything like that, but we, you know, you, you need to understand that these scriptures can be manipulated to, to, to make you feel like you have to take a particular stance or God's going to be unhappy with you. Yeah. And what we need to focus on ourselves and worry about our, our own selves and not be trying to control other people. Yeah. And I think it's so interesting that you've brought up that that has become a more common thing that your kids are bringing up. Um, it is something that my co-host and I have talked about how the internet has really made the availability of information around LGBTQ people and how it's almost become a little bit popular. And I hate to say the word popular, but a lot of the like top shows have LGBTQ people and the stories of them struggling, it's become like hip and like almost trendy. So it's also on the other flip side, it's become safer. And I say this in like quote air quotation Mm -hmm. marks for younger and younger kids to come out as queer and gay because they're hearing the language more often. But where's that line of how that is actually your journey versus it being really trendy? Because I even remember growing up, everyone was bi because it was hot for the guys and it was like the cool thing to do. And it wasn't until years later that I come to my senses and I was like, oh, I'm not bi, I'm actually super way gay <laughs> but it was cool to be by at the time and I almost feel like it was a disservice to actually by people that I was running around saying that I was by so it's such a fine line and it's and it's hard and again I don't have kids so I don't like know what's going on in today's world around with kids but I have noticed that there seems to be a lot more gay people than <laughs> there was before and is it because they feel safer to come out as gay or are people taking advantage of that rhetoric uh you know i obviously every it'd be a case-by-case basis right like yeah there's no way to know but i'd say statistically the number of people out there that are identifying that way is highly unlikely that it's all true you know and 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 i i said to my son even because there's my son has two girls that he talks to almost every day. Both of them identify as, as gay or lesbian. Sometimes I use the wrong term, so I apologize. No. I don't mean to offend anyone. It's not offensive. Actually, I've had great conversations about this because, and I don't know if I've told you this, but Allison goes back and forth with identifying as gay, gay versus bi. lesbian. Okay. And not back, sorry. No. Um, definitely not, not but <laughs> <laughs> we're both like, mm-mm. Oh. Um, no, but... Um, I asked Allison why she uses gay versus lesbian, and she told me it's because she grew up in a Baptist church and she grew up in Texas. Um, even her mom, till this day, 
kind of cringes and I can see her like clutching her invisible pearls every time I use the word lesbian. She's getting more used to it, but it was considered a bad negative thing and she would associate it with the word fuck or like cunt and she'd be like, no, don't ever use the word lesbian. So Allison feels safer using the word gay Mm -hmm. because she finds lesbian to be more dirty. But as she's gotten to know me, the loud lesbian, (laughs) she's gotten more and more comfortable with lesbianism and understanding like lesbianism and literature and lesbian representation and whatnot. But I even notice my dad cringing a little bit every time I say the word lesbian. So they are used interchangeably. um, And I'm not offended if you call me gay or lesbian. I have uh, female gay friends that don't like the term lesbian, yeah. and so I... I think it's fascinating. I try to... <laughs> I'm like, I'll, I'll use whatever words you want, and if you can tell me, but I also have speech patterns that I'm, I'm probably going to break it. You know, I have a, we have a, a, a dear friend of ours that uh, lives in California, and we, we saw her recently, and when we met her, she was a him, and was a gay male and is now transitioning into a woman yeah hormones the whole nine yards and it's so hard for me to not call her him Him. when i'm talking about her because that's how i knew her yeah right and so I, i i try to use the right words i also get super pissed at and i think it's counterproductive when people from the lgbtq community sorry i can't say that faster I'm, I'm trying to get better at it. Plus, there's extra letters that I can't remember. I know. Um, you could also just say queer community. I don't think anyone community? would be okay. offended. <laughs> so I, I, I also get super irritated when I see somebody from the queer community making a real big deal about somebody not using the right pronouns, pronouns yeah. when you didn't tell them that that's what you wanted. It's like, look, I, I get it. You got a big stick and you can hit people with it. Okay. But it's not helping your cause. Like, there are people that want to abuse you, and those people aren't going to be swayed by your anger either. And then there's people like me who want to do the right thing, but we don't know what the fuck to say. So I'm doing, like, the best that I can. And then if you come in and you hit me with your stick, not just feel like an asshole, but I also shy away from you and the community. Like, don't do that. Like, if you told me that you want to be called something, and, and I'll do it. Right. Um, but it, and, and I might I might mess up because I, I have speech patterns that I'm used to and I'll probably apologize. You know, I, I spent a whole afternoon with Olivia, who used to be Wesley, and I called I said him to her. I don't probably four times and every time I felt terrible. Yeah. And I was like, I'm sorry. And, and it, I almost said he. Yeah. Um, and she <laughs> said, no, you're you're trying. And I think more LGBTQ people or queer community members need to hear that from straight men because I agree. I full-heartedly agree that us gay people, we give other people so much shit for messing up or not taking the time to learn. And some people take time. It takes time to learn new pronouns. It takes time to learn your new identity or even your new name. And as a gay person myself, I mess up all the time. But the more we shun people the worse it is like they you might not want to hang out with me if i'm like i'm a lesbian not a gay person like that's not (laughs) nice just be more accepting and open i think is super super important um 
What are your biggest forms of allyship? Allyship. Um, I, you know, I, maybe I don't fully understand the question, but like I ally, I, I align myself mm -hmm. with individuals that I vibe with. Yeah. Right. And, um, you know, I, I've had to swallow some, some jagged pills lately because I am not for everyone. Right. And I, I, I want to. I've always wanted to be like the life of the party and, you know, have fun and make people laugh and all that stuff. Wait, time out. And you're not? Because you definitely are. I, 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 I am, but I, I'm getting to the sad part. Okay, carry on. And the, sad, the sad part is, is that um, when I started a podcast and, and I started to put myself out there mm -hmm. and I started to get hate back, you know? I realized that I actually have massive fucking social anxiety <laughs> and, and I, I can't be in large group gatherings. I never liked concerts. I never went to sporting events, all that mm. stuff. And I thought like, oh, it's just better to watch the football game on TV. That's what I thought. Okay. Right. But as an, as an adult that now has like full blown panic attacks if I go to a sporting event or a concert I realized like no you were just trying to protect yourself from an environment you did not feel comfortable in right huh. and so what I've realized is that a huge percentage of what I thought was my personality is simply a defense mechanism right Interesting. and that yeah. I I'm just I'm like and I feel more comfortable if I'm in a group of people, if I control the crowd by being the one that's telling the stories and saying the funny things. Or and hosting the bottle drops at Hosting the house. bottle drops at my house, you know, all of that stuff. <laughs> you know, you pick me up and put me at somebody else's house with 30 people that are all drinking whiskey and I'm like a fucking wallflower. I don't say shit. I just sit in the corner and I don't know. It's It's just weird. So, you know, when I talk, when I think about um, allying with people. Yeah. I think about, um, I don't know. It's a weird term for me because I came from the Christian world and it feels so like esoteric, but like energy, right? Like sure. I think about the energy of people and it's hard for me to admit to myself that there are a lot of people who just would fucking hate me if they really knew who I was. <laughs> right. <laughs> and I, I had an experience recently where I went out with my wife with like one of her friends and all of their friends and I started to have a panic attack and I was sitting in the corner and the friends like this like over the top like ah, you know it's like she's like the life of the party she's probably like me honestly where she's like <laughs> she's like everybody look at me dance right and and I'm like what's what the fuck is going on this is this 50 year old woman's birthday party why is her completely exposed leg out and I think I just saw her cooter like I don't and and so I'm there and I and I realized like I'm I'm trying to cope, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm and I'm I'm like telling stories and I'm telling jokes and I'm like I don't know, I'm getting super raw and I'm using a lot of thought language and I made some people uncomfortable and it made me realize like these there's some people there that that like they're like I want to fucking party with that dude. But there were some other people that are like I hope I never see that guy again. <laughs> right? And, and so I, I'm, I'm about, you know, finding those individual connections, 
Yeah. Right. And there's no category of person that I always vibe with. There's no, it's about individuals for me. I love that. Um, my next question for you is what do you think people could do to be more like you or what do you think people could do to unlearn some of the damaging rhetorics that they have been taught in the past? All right. Well, some of y'all ain't going to want to hear this shit. <laughs> right. So I, uh, I have a gay friend. Mm-hmm. You okay. have multiple now. Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> I, I had a gay friend. And uh, and he asked me one time, and this is pretty early on when I first started to, you know, hang out with gay people. He said, what would you do if your son was gay? No, oh, great. Uh, Might have been on my list. <laughs> right. And I, and I said, I said the thing that all guilty, straight, white males say. I said, I would just love him. Right. And then he chastised me. Why? Actually, that part was kind of fucked up. But he said, like, of course you would love him. Right? Like, like gay people are unlovable. Mm. Right? And he, he, he made me feel guilty about it. Right? Mm. And so remember the thing I said where I think about, like, the opposite? Yeah. Right? So I thought, okay. Right? So my son's gay. What does that mean? It means he's... And I said this to my son about all these girls that are telling him they're gay, right? I said, son, look, some of these girls are saying they're gay. They're not really gay. There's only one thing that makes a girl gay, and none of those girls are doing it yet. <laughs> uh-huh. And I got a pretty sneaking suspicion because I know what it's like. Some of them aren't going to like it, <laughs> right? <laughs> and I'm like, so, you know, there, there's there's something that makes you gay, right? And And so I thought about it, and I thought... All right. He said my son was gay. What does that make me think about? Thinks It makes me think about my son getting his dick sucked by a guy, sucking a guy's dick, or having butt sex one way or the other with a guy. Mm. Those are all things that when I have that image in my head, I don't like it. I'm like, ugh, that's not good, right? But then think about the opposite, right? My son's with a woman. And he's just having the time of his life. Just fucking this girl. Yeah. Equally disgusting. <laughs> right? Same thing with my daughter, right? Like, my daughter's gay. She's going down on a chick. Ugh, don't want to see that. My daughter's getting raw dogged by some guy. Fucking just as gross. And going through that thought process with my kids yeah, and thinking about my kids is what helped me to realize like what do I really want for my kids I want them to be happy I want them to feel loved I want them to feel supported in life does it matter what kind of sex makes them feel that way mm. I don't think it does because it's all fucking gross to me Sure. Right? I don't think about my son having sex with a girl. I don't want to think about my daughter having sex with a guy. Like, it's all gross. Right? And that thought process is what helped me to go, okay, if I can ignore that for my kids, can I do it for other people? Mm. And, and want the same thing for them that I want for my kids. Right? Because it doesn't matter whether you're 
socialist or capitalist. It doesn't matter whether you're a Democrat or Republican. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. We all want the same shit. We just have different beliefs on how we get it, right? And if you can wrap your head around that and just go, okay, like I am a white male, ultra financial conservative, semi-progressive, leaning liberal, social person, right? But ultra conservative financial person, yeah. right? That doesn't mean I can't love somebody who thinks Bernie Sanders is the shit. <laughs> sure. Right? Because at the end of the day, we want the same thing for ourselves and the people we love. Yeah. Right? And how we get about that, I mean, who cares? Like, I just don't care about that anymore. So if if, if you ask me how does somebody get there, that's how. It's to boil it down to the truth of what it really is. And the truth is... We all want the same shit. Mm. It's powerful. So, Randy, what are you still working on unlearning? If anything at all. Loaded question. <laughs> Sorry. Um, I don't, um, to forgive myself. Hmm. I have a lot of guilt about my brother's suicide. My wife was not always kind to me about my past. She was a virgin when we got married. I wasn't. So I think there's definitely a lot of struggle psychologically in dealing with life's problems. Before my, my father was in prison for most of my life. And before he went back to prison the second yeah, the second time, I told him to stop because I was worried I was going to lose him. Mm. And he chastised me for talking about that. And so I struggled with feeling like I wasn't worth giving up the lifestyle for, mm. you know? So I, I think those are the things that I, I'm still trying to learn. That my dad can decide to continue to be a drug dealer and it doesn't mean anything about me. That I can make the mistakes that I made before I was married. Mm. But it doesn't mean that I don't have work now. And that my brother can decide to take his own life. And that it doesn't mean that I wasn't a good brother, you know. I think those are the things I'm still trying to learn. Sorry. Don't apologize. I don't think you need to apologize ever for speaking your truth. I guess I'm going to...
switch gears here a little bit, but I want to learn how does your whiskey and your group bring people together? Well, that was a struggle. <clears throat> so the whiskey community is dominated by reasonably affluent white males, mostly middle-aged. Um, I'd say almost, I, I'd say the overwhelming majority of the active participants in the whiskey enthusiast community are 25 to 45 or 50, make good money. They've got the money to spend on things. Um, and so unfortunately that creates a platform almost like, you know, uh, queer rights where now all of a sudden, you know, some teenage girl could come along and say, I'm queer give me attention, respect me, don't, you know, treat, don't say certain things to me or whatever, right? Like, I'm, I want to feel special. And guys would come in and do that. Mm -hmm. And they would go like, hey, you know, I know more about whiskey than you do. So, you know, you should shut the fuck up or you're an idiot. And, and if you go to most of the national whiskey forums, you'll see crazy shit. You'll see, you know, some person that, goes you know hey i bought this new bottle of whiskey what do y'all think and someone will go i hope your children die of dick cancer because you like that like it's like the craziest shit you've ever seen and so to build a a, a forum in a community where that wasn't happening where also gay people were welcome minorities were welcome women in general were welcome with so much like pre-programming for the people that normally participate in these environments to just come in and stomp all over that. Mm. It, it was hard. I mean, it was hard. I mean, I was fighting with the people I was building it with, you know, and the argument was always like, oh, well, it's, you know, it's, they're, they're grown men. If they don't like it, tell them to keep scrolling, right? Mm. And so... To build an environment where you can use the connective power of whiskey to bring people together where literally everyone's welcome, regardless of, you know, anything, was a struggle. But it's, we did it. It took right? you years, it right? Took, yeah, it took years. But we're there now to the point where if somebody came in and, like, called somebody the F word or whatever, like, the community would fucking destroy that person. Like even before the admins and moderators could get involved because the people we over and I kept telling everybody, I said, if we stay the course, eventually the people who want to behave like that will get pissed and they'll leave. <laughs> right. But, but what we'll have left is normal fucking people that know how to act that, and then we can have this great environment, this thing where people can talk and, and interact and get to know each other, right? And, you know, it, it just makes me laugh. Today, Allison did a pickup from somebody who, like, he seems like a fucking redneck, right? Like, <laughs> but he's like, he's like, I'm going to do a favor for this obviously lesbian woman, and we're going to meet up and, like, hang out, right? And that that's yeah. what I... And so that's that's it's it's awesome it's it's beautiful it's what is supposed to be it it wasn't easy 
it didn't happen on its own. It, we, you had to fight for it, but now it's there, and I and I love it, and I think it's beautiful. So, um, follow up to that. Holy moly, I am so impressed with your Facebook group, the community. I could talk about the merch and the candles on a different occasion, <laughs> but it's really unique to be in a space that I always considered male dominated where I never felt welcome. And in fact, it felt almost awkward to tell people that I was into whiskey because it would like, people would be like, you're not really into whiskey. You're just saying that to get with the guys. And I'd be like, well, first of all, gay. So, <laughs> no. So no. Um, and second of all, like I want to learn more and I have never been in a space where I feel um, that I can ask what would be considered maybe dumb questions and not get shunned for them. So kudos. I could not agree more. The community you've actually created is such a feat around something that has such a reputation. Um, so my follow-up question to that is, what's next? Where do you see Bourbon Real Talk and Someone Say Whiskey in the next five years, ten years? Um, so... The truth is that, um, and we'll deal with Bourbon Roll Talk first. Bourbon Roll Talk was not necessarily meant to be a whiskey education channel. What was it meant to be? Have you ever watched any of the early episodes? I mean, shit, that's how you reached out to me, right? Yeah. It's because you saw the episode that I did with Melissa, who's gay. Yeah. Right? I thought it was still really educational, though. It was, it, well, maybe not about whiskey, but like, it's it's Bourbon Real Talk. We drink bourbon, we talk about real shit. <laughs> That's why I thought it was educational. Right? And so I, I saw this this thing, I don't know, years ago. I think it was Guinness mm-hmm. did this this thing where they'd put two people in a bar and they'd get them there for whatever reason, right? The people thought that they were there for some other reason. And then they'd give them beers and they would just be like hanging out and talking and having a beer. Yeah. And they get to know each other. And then slowly throughout the night, they'd reveal to them that they had opposite ideological views. Oh, interesting. Okay. okay. And I and I and I saw it and I was like, I want to fucking do that, right? Is that your intention? Yes. <laughs> and so I, my one of my really good friends, is, is fucking, you know, he's a fucking giant black dude. He looks like a silverback gorilla, and you know, I've known him since he was like fifteen. And when Colin Kaepernick started kneeling and stuff, I was like, bro. Like, I'm just fucking trying to get on board, but this shit just doesn't make any sense to my white ass. Like, I just don't understand it. Mm. We had this whole conversation, and he tried to explain it to me. The first time he tried it, uh, it didn't work. I was like, yeah, it still sounds fucking nuts to me. Second time, he said something that made sense, and I was like, could we do this, like, as a podcast? Right? But what I figured out, unfortunately, and this is sad, is that when I would do a podcast about like Black Lives Matter? Yeah, all the Black Lives Matter supporters would watch it, but not but opposite. not the people who needed to see the shit. Yeah, and vice versa. And so eventually, I just kind of converted the podcast over to like, okay, well, I'm just going to connect people to whiskey, and then whiskey will do the rest of the work. Mm. I know what whiskey does, right? Whiskey brings people together. So I would like to build the podcast to a point where I could do, like, it's fucking soul-sucking to do a top 10 podcast. Like, it's just, like, it's not my heart. 
right? It's what the YouTube algorithm wants. Yeah. It's the only way I get new subscribers. It's the only way I can use. And so what I want to do is build it to a point where I could do something like that and people would have to watch, mm. right? They'd have to pay attention and that I could have a bigger impact, a bigger direct impact. That would be my goal. Um, there's financial elements to it, right? I sell merch. Um, my wife doesn't work anymore. She works basically for the podcast and you know, I want to grow that. I'm not, I'm, I am a self-interested person just like everyone else. And I want Shocking. to, <laughs> I want to make money for the time that I'm spending. So I, I hope, I hope that happens. I, um, I think I've ever said this before, but I've, I've written about a third of a book. Yes. So I'm releasing a book. Wait. I'm into it. Snaps, snaps. <laughs> um, it's going to be called something like the one hour whiskey expert. It's like a beginner's guide. Like you can read it in an hour and then like you got the base level of knowledge. You can walk into a bar and impress the bartender or whatever. Right. Like um, just get you or your date out. or your date. Yeah, sure. <laughs> or the liquor store so that you actually get the bottle you're looking for. Right. Whatever, get those right? discounts. So, um, so anyway, so there's that. And then, um, you know, I, the, the bigger the reach, you know, I, I have started two brands of whiskey, um, the Prival Goat. Um, I'd, I'd like the podcast to support the Prival Goat's growth. And then um, on the Summit Say Whiskey side, I want to keep it what it is, which is available for everybody, educational. I want you to be able to go in there and ask the most basic question ever and nobody say, what the fuck, why didn't you use the search feature? Yeah. Right. I want people to either if, if that irritates them to know to keep growing. And for those that have the time, energy and effort to answer the question. Yeah. Because I, I want new people to feel welcome. I want to help grow the whiskey space and um, I want to parlay that into opportunities. Right. I want to do more events where we get people together. I we also um, have a, another brand of whiskey called Unallocated. I'd love to use Unallocated to provide opportunities for someone say whiskey members to get access to things that they wouldn't otherwise get access to. Um, and I uh, unashamedly want that to also make me money. <laughs> Even though some people think that I should volunteer 40 hours a week and not make a dime, mm. those people um, can fuck off because that's not how life works. So... Um, but you know, for me, I want it to always be a win-win. I want I want everybody to be winning. I want everyone to be progressing. I want to use my platform to help people to feel comfortable. I want to encourage people to do what it is that they were put on this planet to do. And if you're listening to this, I want you to know something that's crucial, and it is this: there is no one that has ever been born since the beginning of time that didn't have a great big purpose that was put inside of them before they were born. And the richest place in the world is not Dubai. It's a graveyard. Because too many of you are gonna die with your greatness inside you. And there are many people in this world whose lives will never be what they were supposed to be because you didn't pursue your dreams. And I believe that about people. And I wanna help people to go out and believe in themselves enough to take the risk Responsibly, I'm not telling you to quit your job and go start some business. The first 10 things you try are going to fail. 
that's okay. It's part of the process. You fell for it. That's fine. I don't want you to put your family at risk or any of that. But I'm telling you that there's something. You're not here on accident. There's no accidental people. Everyone here has something. People go, Randy, if that's true, like who would pick up the trash? I don't know. Somebody invent a way that there wouldn't be trash. There would be a way that the trash picks up itself or something. I don't, I don't know. I'm not... I'm not a smart, I'm not, I'm not even a genius, okay? I'm just an average dude, but I'm telling you that everybody has a reason for being here. And if everybody went out there and pursued whatever that was, this world would be so much better than it is right now. And there would be so much to go around that there would be so much less suffering. There'd be so much less struggle. You know, most of the fights that we have, they're not about, they're, honestly, most of the disagreements that we have are about resources and who's going to get them. And how do we divide the people up so that we can die, decide who's going to be the haves and who's going to be the have-nots? What if we all went out there and created so much that there was so much abundance that we didn't have to divide the people up and everybody could have what they wanted? You know, I, I, I don't know. Maybe I'm an idealist, but I want to use my platform for that. I love that. All right. Last two questions. Okay. Um... Do you want some gelato after this? I'm going to eat gelato, but I don't like sweets. <laughs> I do remember you don't like sweets. But I think your wife is going to be very happy that Allison made this gelato. Um, and my last question for the night is, would you do us the honor of closing my podcast as you close yours? Sure. Uh, you want the story, too? Yeah, sure. Okay. All right. So, if this is the first time that you're hearing me speak, what am I saying? Listening to my podcast. <laughs> I want to introduce you to my philosophy. What am I say? Show philosophy. And that is that whiskey brings people together. And that's something that is important to me because, unfortunately, I did lose a loved one to suicide in 2014. And it made me realize that there are people all around us that may be feeling disconnected or alone, unloved. And whiskey has a magical power to bring people together so that people don't feel that way. And so part of my impetus for doing what I do was to use the connected power of whiskey to bring people together so they don't feel that way. The other thing that I've noticed is I've gotten more involved in the whiskey community and social media is that there's a lot of hate that's been shared online people showing hate towards one another over different ideological views, whether it be sexual orientation or religion or political beliefs, race, whatever the case may be. And it made me realize that if one of those individuals can hate somebody that they've never met, that they've only seen things that they've said online, it's just as easy for me to love that person, even though we've never met and I've only seen things that they've said online. And that's why I end every show the same. And that is this. If you woke up this morning and you were unsure whether or not anyone loved you, just know that I love you. And I'll see you next time on Bourbon Real Talk. Thank you. Some bloopers. Oh, sips. My level looks good. Peter Piper. 
picks a peck of peppers. <laughs> I think it's good. Nope. No. It's not good. No, that was bad. That was in the bad Yeah. Zone. No, it's good now. Yeah, it's so good now. <laughs> Testing audio. Let's get this level a little bit higher. Testing. One, two, three. How does this sound? You can find more information about this episode and the show at our website, southernqueries.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram by searching Southern Queries. Queries is with two E's. Until next time, thanks for listening. Some credits. Production. Your hosts, India and Aubrey. Audio mixing by Allison Holly. Story research, Aubrey Calvin. Editing, India Bastia. This is Southern Queries. <laughs>